I met Calvin at the Prosperos way back in 1971. Prosperos is a school about the science of being, and Calvin is a wonderful expression of the energy and spontaneity of being. Calvin does many things in many places. He teaches the name classes of the Prosperos translation in RHS, as well as seminars and workshops in Arizona, California, Michigan, Oregon, and Washington State. Translation is a process of discovering the truth about anything, and RHS is a process that does the same, but dealing with emotions. In addition, Calvin is teaching a preparatory mentoring program for those interested in becoming professional prosperous mentors. He also creates personalized life coaching packages that enable students greater, greater access to their skills and talents. So now I bring to view Calvin. Go right ahead, Calvin, you're on. Aloha. Well, we seem to be uh, somewhat thin today, but it's great that this is being recorded. So those that want to uh, listen to it can go to the Prospero's website and do so. Um, today, I'm kind of excited uh, to, to um, be presenting to us uh, Eric. Eric um, uh, is an advocate for equality. He is a man that treats work like play for both himself and those who work with him. His focus is one on the black and gay issues within the communities in which he serves. Eric is known to build bridges and give voice to those not heard when they know not how to speak. So with that, I bring Eric. Eric, uh, come on board. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you, everyone. It's um, an honor to be here today, and I'm excited. Oh, well, I am too, my goodness. Um, Eric, I've known for quite a while. Uh, Eric Davis uh, was the, um, when I knew him, the, I believe it was the general manager of a restaurant bar that was known as the Paradise in Long Beach. And um, uh, when he, he was there, the staff uh, was amazing. The, the um, patrons were all excited and were excited about being there. They did an art show. My nieces even uh, did a... Um, um, turntable of what uh, DJing there so I mean it, it was really wonderful uh, Eric how long ago was that do you remember well I was the general manager at the restaurant in Long Beach in California um, for 12 years and that was nine years ago mm -hmm. um, so it's it, it's going yeah it's going into I thought October it'll be nine years since I um there. Yeah. And it's been just onward and upward from there. So tell us a little bit about who is Eric Davis? <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of liked what you said earlier. I was like, wow, I, this is this is 
fabulous. I am, I'm, I'm, I think if you look at everything that I'm doing, people would perceive me to be a really complex, busy um, person, but really behind the cover of that, I'm super simple. I love staying at home. I love cooking. I love spending time with friends and family. I um, really, really enjoy just being mellow, but that's sort of the flip side of what I think the cover of who I am and, and, and what people perceive me to be because of all of the things that I'm involved in. Um, and kind of, I think Calvin, when you met me at um, Paradise, I had sort of gone through um, some really wild life changes. I was working with a popular modeling agency and then 9-11 had happened and I really reevaluated what life was about and wanted to keep things simple and started hosting at that restaurant just to keep myself busy and um, hosting soon became a management position and a management position quickly became um, this, I, I used the restaurant to sort of express all of the things that excited me in life. And my philosophy when I was running the restaurant was all about treating people really fabulous. So when I trained the employees, my process was you're gonna treat people like they're in your home. And this experience has to be something that moves them, excites them and makes them feel important. And so I was able to do that for over a decade. And in that process, we created amazing entertainment. We created um, great artists that we featured in our restaurant on our walls in, in, in the bar area. We did um, community outreach. So we were able to help lots of organizations within the Long Beach community. And it was just, it was a, it was a beacon. It was a platform for me to experience um, and put into place a lot of things that I had had previous experience with growing, growing up in California. I think that that's so important that you mentioned that what you learned, it wasn't just something you learned and that you just filed away. It was learned and then incorporated within what you were doing with the restaurant and things, ideas that you had that then you brought those forward. And I think that's important because uh, I see that that then when you left uh, uh, Long Beach and came to Palm Springs, that you did that again with the GED magazine. Can you t tell us a little bit of how that all happened? Well, it was, it was kind of funny because I moved to Palm Springs thinking that I was going to retire. And, I got <laughs> to Palm Springs and people were like, well, you're kind of young. Why are you going to retire so soon? There's so many other things you can do. And I, it, it took about three years to move away from the identity of the general manager of this popular restaurant mm -hmm. to working with some partners and creating a magazine that was for LGBTQ 
nightlife and creating the magazine so that it covered all of California and the LGBT community. And so you've got San Francisco, you've got Los Angeles, you've got West Hollywood, Long Beach, Orange County, San Diego, Palm Springs, all these different melting pots where LGBT people were migrating. And we created this magazine that sort of showcased this. And in that process, um, I started selling advertising, putting together events for um, advertisers that were advertising in the magazine, working with the LGBT centers, both Palm Springs, Long Beach, Los Angeles, Oakland, California, and all of the things that I was doing in Long Beach with the restaurant, I was able to also incorporate in the magazine. And so all of my creativity was being maxed out, all of my community outreach, working with people, um, and, and, and being able to really do what I love to do which was able to bring me joy. And then the flip side of it, I was like, oh, well, I'm not retired. I've got a full-time <laughs> job now. <laughs> the, uh, the other thing too is because I moved here about four years ago. And what was interesting is that when I got here, you were already involved with the city of Cathedral City, which is uh, has been a beacon for the gay community for a long time. Uh, can, can you kind of tell us about what, what, how that all came about? And especially what I love is the bed races between the um, uh, at the um, Pride Festival, where the two major competitors is the police department and the fire department. <laughs> I did love that the college students won the last time. <laughs> well, it was it was sort of the same process. I, I I was still thinking about retirement, but really busy with the magazine. And Cathedral City had just put in place a new mayor. I was living in Cathedral City, wanting to represent and really um, support the community part of Cathedral City. Cathedral City being one of the larger cities in the Coachella Valley and 48% of the demographic is LGBT. So the new council that came on board seven years ago um, with a city manager, with an events um, manager, they all had a philosophy of wanting to do um, community involved events that um, would bring the community together. And one of them was honoring the LGBT community in, um, the, in the city. So um, being so active and involved with the magazine, it was a perfect um, way to just sort of share some of the successes of the magazine. And so when it came time to put these events on, I approached the city and said, why don't I be that sponsorship specialist, um, that, that ambassador for the city that reaches out to the, to the small business? And the intention was to 
get the smaller businesses involved with what was happening with the city. So with um, all big events, there comes a budget that you have to create. Yes. And the city um, had a small budget, but the budget that they had wasn't going to create what we wanted to achieve with the event. So I, I, I took on the goal of raising $10,000 and actually raised $11,000. So we brought in um, an old time performer, Martha Wash, um, some, some really great local entertainers. And we created the bed race, which was just another way of, um, we wanted to create something that wasn't typical, like a parade. Um, and the bed race was something that um, one of the volunteers had done in college. So when we presented it to city council, they were like, the bed race, well, what do you mean? And we were like, <laughs> we take a bed frame, put wheels on it, make it look like a float, and then we race down the street and whoever gets the fastest time wins. So the police department, was really into it. The police department, the fire department, and the first year the police won, the second year the fire department won, the third year the fire department won, and then just this fourth fourth year in 2019, um, one of the city colleges um, won. So it's been a really competitive, competitive um, bed race that comes up every year. And obviously in 2020, we, we went on a pause because of COVID and 2022 in March, we will be bringing the bed race and LGBT days back. So we're, we're really excited about that. And you can, you can check out some of the videos from it on YouTube if you go to discovercathedralcity.org or .net, so. Yeah, it's interesting that you then bring up that time frame of uh, of COVID because it's amazing because so many individuals then felt uh, displaced and lost. But Eric, you are so amazing again because with that, you you did something, and that was to uh, help create the Black Brothers of the of the Desert. Could you speak on that? <laughs> it's it's funny um, because um, when I first got to Palm Springs, I kept noticing that whenever I went places, I was only the the only black person in the room, and not that it ever bothered me. But coming from Long Beach, Long Beach was a little more diverse. Coming from LA, LA was a little more diverse. San Francisco was a little more diverse. And it was just something that I didn't ever realize until I got to Palm Springs. And I was like, well, we're all people of color. And I would see brown Latinos and things like that, um, but not a lot of black people. And so I just kept looking for more black people and a couple of friends of mine from Los Angeles had moved here. They were doing the same thing and we all were doing it, but not being super conscious of it. And we decided to just start networking with the little small six of us that um, would gather and we would gather for lunch or brunch or dinner like once a month. And then we got to twice a month. And then 
we started reaching out even more and we found that there were black guys around and they were gay and they were professionals. And so then we started thinking, well, gosh, do we really need to do something like an organization or do we need to, what do we need to do? And so we, we, we realized that we needed to do an organization. And so we started really formatting the um, group so that it became a little more serious. And we started calling ourselves the Brothers of the Desert. And then we, a year and a half ago, became a nonprofit organization. So Brothers of the Desert, it's a nonprofit organization that provides a growing network of support for black gay men and our allies in the Coachella Valley. Our mission is to nurture and support black gay men and our allies through philanthropy, volunteerism, mentorship, education, advocacy, and social networking. So uh, uh, could you say, say those things again? Because I think for any group that's going to happen, that these are some of the pillars that you need to have that organization grow. As, uh, and would you mention those again, please? So our mission is to nature or is, is to nurture and support black gay men and our allies through philanthropy, volunteerism, mentorship, education, advocacy, and social networking. And when you start to break all those things down, we implemented a health and wellness expo that we do on a yearly basis every year in November. We created a speaker series where we brought in professional doctors, different professionals in the um, community that could educate black men on health, on sexuality, on well-being, on communication, on professionalism, um, so many of those um, things we, we overlook and assume. So we, we soon then found that our group started growing and we've grown now to over a hundred members. Three years ago, it was six of us and we've partnered with some of our major um, health people here in the Valley, like DAP, Desert AIDS um, Project. We've partnered with the LGBT Center and we've become an organization that is now known nationally. And so people that, gay men that are black, that are moving into the Valley now feel like they have a place of safety where they can share their concerns and just have another friend to rely upon when things get lonely. And through COVID, I think regardless of your gender, your race, your age, we all felt lonely. And that is when we really thrived because we did everything on the virtual platform like we're doing today. And we were able to let people have a voice to share their concerns and some of their sadness and some of their joy. So um, brothersofthedesert.org. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. What's interesting though, is that the concept is starting to change. And I think uh, uh, 
we saw that yesterday uh, in a meeting that was held that was called a journey of inter intersectionality, um, which is becoming a larger and more inclusive uh, kind of concept. Uh, would you, you want to speak on that? And the speakers that we had who were just amazing yesterday. Yeah, we had two great, great speakers, um, Jamal Palmer and Emil. Um, Emil is a celebrity face that we've seen on HGTV, um, CNN, and um, e, the, the channel E. And the topic, or Emil and Jamal basically had a conversation about intersexuality. And then what they did was, and they told their version of it, and their, their conversation came from life experiences. And they shared those life experiences from two very different Black gay men. And then they allowed the group to actually um, break into different smaller groups and talk about what is your definition of intersectionality. I mean, is that word, I get it. It's Intersectionality. Yes. Because so, it was uh, because the interesting thing is that it is more than just about sexuality. The one individual spiritually was uh, Jewish and black, and and so all of that that went on with that. The other being uh, the two races that he was. He was black and Jamaican. And his mom was from the Caribbean and his dad was black, but also had some white yeah. in him as well. But it's interesting how they had gone through traditional um, churches and that, but had come out in different um, in in creating who who they who they were once they went off to college, which I think that a lot of the people can um, can uh, recognize who are in this group that when they came to the Prosperos, how life totally changed for them <laughs> as as an educational body at that point. I think you too, uh, Eric, when you went off to college, didn't that is yes. that. Yeah, I, I, I shared with my smaller group that um, when I went off to college, that's kind of when I came out and really knew that I was gay and felt comfortable being gay. And in my entire process, I never had an issue with being black because I was raised by my grandmother and my grandmother was a very strong, strong woman. And she was a very social woman and she never, talked about color so I never really saw color mm -hmm. until I got to college and dealt with college. I, 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 I went to college on a cheerleading scholarship and after a year of it I just I, I was like this isn't for me I've got to go to a trade school and get what I need so I can get out in the world and do what I want to do. But going back to the conversation from um, our event yesterday, two other questions that they asked 
was what was a pivotal moment in your journey to owning your identity? And I don't think that that's a, a, a question that's just for Black people. I think that's no. a question for everybody. So if you think about that question, it really creates a process of thinking. And I challenge everyone on this on this Zoom call today to kind of think about these questions and try to answer them yourself. The third question was, how do you help others feel safe to be who they are and how can you do more? Yeah. And the three guys that I broke off into the room with, they just text this morning and said, okay, next week, let's do another Zoom call and let's continue <laughs> this conversation. Because mm -hmm. one guy that I was talking to was, is in Washington, DC. And as you know, there's a lot of things happening in, publicly and politically in Washington, D.C. right now. And then the other guy that I was talking to was he lives in Palm Springs, but every summer to get out of the, the triple digit heat, he goes to Ashland, Oregon to um, process his, his um, thinking process of writing because he's a journalist. So it's, um, it's definitely a conversation I'm going to be excited about to continue because it's really continued the thinking process. The whole business of intersectionality, uh, it was really interesting because it was not only, uh, it was interesting some of the families that uh, the individuals belonged to. There was the uh, one man who was black, whose husband is white, whose children were Asian. So it's... It, right. uh, uh, and, and so it is dealing with that, also with the new sexualities that were going, because I think one of the daughters had come out and she had come out as non-binary or something. Right. And, and, and that kind of flew over my head. And uh -huh. I really, I reached out to them after to, to have a conversation. And next week we're going to have a conversation because I don't even know where to start the process on that and then to add to that we have a member that's in our group of the brothers of the desert that is a trans male female that transitioned to male but is also handicapped in a wheelchair so his conversation was amazing because it was in a completely different perspective and in an environment that none of us can even imagine because you're dealing with that process of not feeling like a woman and not wanting to be a woman and you transition to a man and you're, you, you identify as a man, but then you have a handicap of being confined to a wheelchair. So on the sexual part of that, I can't, how do you even start? And then on a relationship side of things, how do you even start? So his conversation was, I mean, we could continue for another three hours and oh, still yeah. talk about it. So <laughs> it's definitely something that this entire speaker series that we did yesterday, we're going to continue this conversation in November at our health and wellness, ex, ex, um, health and wellness summit. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because so much of this is so important in uh, being able to reach uh, the the public, know what the uh, have empathy for what is going on, and realize that the world is changing. Yes, and that is the major thing that the world is changing so much. And that there is no one that has (laughs) a grip on all of the things that are coming up and that are uh, that are going to um, be necessary for the new um, tools that we will need to be able to assist someone with their uh, growing into their authenticity. Yes. Um, I know because uh, we sort of go back and forth on this in, in your spiritual journey. Could you kind of talk about that a little bit? Because I think that's interesting, too. Well, I, I'm, I'm, ex- I'm, I'm excited that uh, we're touching on so many things because you're really making me... Um, Pull it out of you. (laughs) You are pulling it out of me, and I'm usually a more reserved person, but it's also also interesting because it's making me also be present to who I am, what I am, what I have accomplished, and where I want to go, just to speak on the educational part of where our world is going right now. We really have to open up and listen to people, not react, and honor where they are and try to create a safe place for them to be able to be authentic to who they are or who at least they think they are at that moment. Um, Because as you go through that process, that process does change. Create change, absolutely. Absolutely. So on a spiritual level, I was raised Baptist. um, And as I became, or as I knew that I was gay, I then was at a place where I didn't have to practice um, because I was at an age where I could make that decision. So I think since my coming out and now as an older adult, I don't necessarily practice a specific religion. Um, I am very spiritual and I believe that um, there's something out there, but it's, I I, I don't have to practice it um, every Sunday in a church to make me know that I am a spiritual person. Um, There's a lot of different things that I look into. um, And I just, I say that I'm a spiritual being but not a religious person. Yes. And I don't, I hope that doesn't offend anybody. Um, oh, not but, here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I've read some great books and I've done some great scenes, gone to some great places that are, that are spiritually um, exciting. Um, I'm going to Costa Rica next month. Oh, and wow. um, one of one of my spiritual coaches, her name is Kim Stanwick Terranova, mm-hmm. and she's a practitioner out of the Agape Center in Culver City, California. And she is um, 
doing some workshops at Rhythmia in Costa Rica next month that I'll be participating with and, and, and being able to recharge some of my, my spiritual juices. It is so important when they have uh, face-to-face meetings. You know, the, the Zoom meetings can do just so much, but the the real centering, the real essence, the real value is being in a 24 hours uh, situation. Yes. And, and I think that that's what that, and to have such an incredible setting, I think that's wonderful. Yeah, being able to be in a very safe place where you can open up, share, learn, grow, and set new goals and, you know, it's great. It's great. Yeah. I've always loved it. The Prosperos have had assemblies over the years and it it is important. I think that individuals have that uh, community in the, in those areas and that, uh, that these kinds of things be taken seriously. Any closing remarks before we leave? I would just like to say it was nice to see you. It was a pleasure to meet everybody. This morning, enjoy your Sunday. Let's make it a decadent Sunday. Ah, yes. (laughs) And um, continue to be kind out there. That's, I guess those are my closing remarks is that we need to be kind, we need to be present, and we need to communicate. Yes.